This is the podcast about transatlantic business by MCM Germany. The Clue. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of The Clue. My name is Katharina Luise Kittler, and I'm the head of communications and government relations at MCM Germany. I'm very happy to welcome our president, Frank Spotolari, to our podcast today. Hello, Frank. Hey, Katharina. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're only two months away from the US presidential election and both the Democratic and Republican conventions took place during the last weeks and Joe Biden and Donald Trump are now officially nominated to run for president. Of course, the elections are of importance to our member companies and today we'd like to analyze the campaigns by the Democrats and Republicans from an economic perspective. But before we get right into the topic, I'd like to introduce Frank first. Since 2018, Frank is president of MCM Germany, and he's also the CEO of UPS Germany since 2011. Frank was born in Chicago and studied economics at the University of Illinois. And before starting to work for UPS, Frank was with the US Department of Defense in Munich. In the 1980s, he joined UPS as a management trainee, also in Munich, and worked there for about 10 years in various positions. Frank also lived and worked for UPS in Spain, Italy, Belgium, and Portugal, so he knows Europe very well, and as an American citizen, he is a real advocate for transatlantic relations. So thank you very much again for being on the clue today, Frank. It's an honor and a privilege, Katarina. Thank you for inviting me. So we are recording this episode in the middle of September, and the conventions just happened a couple of weeks ago. This year, of course, everything was different because of the corona pandemic. Both conventions had to take place virtually, which was a big contrast to the huge events that normally happen before the big election. So taking a first look at the Republican convention, how have you perceived the atmosphere? Uh, you know, you have to remember what a convention is supposed to do or not do. In particular, if you're the incumbent, it's a celebration of, you know, your success and you're continuing on to, you know, to run again. There's supposed to be a lot of excitement generated and it's great on TV and it creates a lot of excitement. You know, having said that, who's more capable of generating media attention and creating, you know, excitement uh, than President Trump. And that's obviously what he set out to do. He set out to establish himself as what an incumbent needs to do, a successful term one president who is uniquely qualified to continue building on the successes of term one and uh, somewhat, uh, you know, point out the inadequacies of the other party. And that's exactly what President Trump tried to do in his way. I don't think we've ever quite seen convention like this, but it's a little difficult to say what piece of it was just the COVID impact and what piece was the Trump factor. Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned it. Everything is different this year. And you also touched on Trump's performance at the convention. In your opinion, did he address the business community? I mean, this is very much important for our members and the transatlantic relationship. There were no big surprises. You know, a lot of family members were included. You know, it's just, I don't think there was anything unexpected that happened. So no one went away saying, wow, I learned something new. 
What I think the business community has learned is that in spite of a lot of things that are said in Washington, on the ground, out in the states, out in the areas where business really takes place, there's a, an unbroken desire to continue doing business with Germany, with Europe. And that feeling is, of course, uh, reciprocated by the German companies who are still very interested in investing in the U.S. So that, fortunately, from our point of view as AmCham, is unbroken. The Trump administration has made no secret of the fact that they don't care where jobs come from in the U.S., particularly they think of manufacturing jobs. If it's a German company like another automotive plant or Siemens building a plant or a Mittelständler going there, that's okay. They just want more jobs. And I think that's, uh, uh, that's something that everyone can work with. We just have to get a little bit used to uh, what the expectations are, I guess. But substantially, the business climate, when you get away from a lot of the Washington turmoil, is still pretty good. Speaking of expectations, what does the transatlantic business community expect from a potential second Trump administration? Well, we certainly don't see any reason why President Trump would look more favorably on Germany than he has in the past. There's some unfortunate you know, disturbance there that I think needs, quite frankly, to be more directly addressed by German politicians, by the German government. We need to find a way to figure out you know, what we need to do to understand each other better and to get back to being the great partners that we are for each other. President Trump is not a fan of multilateral trade agreements. He's made that very clear. That prevent, presents, of course, a big conflict because, as we know, trade is a European competency. Germany cannot make a trade deal with the United States. A very senior person once A few years ago told me, oh, if we could deal directly with Germany, we'd have our trade agreement ironed out in a couple of weeks. Maybe, but it doesn't work that way. And the situation is complicated by all the European factors. And I don't think there would be too much of a change in that. On August 20, Joe Biden was officially nominated to run for president by the Democrats. His acceptance speech was often praised by the media and also by political experts. So how do you view Joe Biden's candidacy? Well, Joe Biden is also uh, a candidate that's been, you know, on the stage for 40 or 50 years, whatever it is now. He's been in public service as a senator, as vice president for two terms under Obama. And I think one of the key things Joe Biden had to do was go in and make a speech that showed, you know, I'm here. I can express what I want to express in a forceful way. And he did that. So I think for him, that was a key deliverable that he acted on. I think the convention uh, reflected, if you just look at what was in each con convention, it reflected very well the moods within the individual parties. You know, on the Democratic side, you had a little bit, obviously, more conflict in the run-up to a determining candidate because they had their 20 candidates running for the nomination before getting it down to one. So you obviously have various factions in the party that have to be satisfied. And it, I think Joe Biden did give the impression that he's been able to 
satisfy the more uh, left-leaning part of the Democratic Party without going too far in their direction so that he'd lose the chance to gain a lot of moderate Democrats or independents. I think he did that tightrope act pretty well. Under the Obama administration, Joe Biden was his vice president. So compared to these years under the Obama administration, on which political topics did he focus most? And what do you think will be his priorities if he becomes the next president? Vice President Biden is trying to say, okay, I would be one who will go back to what American politics has been in the past, which is reaching out to build alliances, being more conscious of what, uh, you know, our partners need, what, you know, what the world is thinking, as opposed to being so centered on America. Uh, one can argue, you know, what is the better path for America? Are we better served by a very narrow focus on short term, you know, looking to do in every action we do advancing America or trying to build longer term alliances. I think uh, we'd certainly see a different way of working in the foreign service. Uh, we'd see more of a return to the old ways of doing business. And uh, I think for a lot of people that is reassuring. I think this has been, you know, the combination of a very, very disruptive presidency combined now with COVID has been a lot for a lot of people. And I think that in a way is what he's trying to sell. Of course, our member companies are preparing for both scenarios. So what does the business community on both sides of the Atlantic expect from a possible Biden presidency? From our point of view, you know, if he were to get elected, we would immediately want to be in touch with his commerce people and treasury and make very clear to them how we you know, how the global economy actually works. And in spite of all the things you say to energize your voters, it isn't, you know, quite as easy as saying, I'm going to bring jobs back home. You already mentioned some of the issues that the next administration should address. So what should be among the top political priorities also maybe to recover from the corona pandemic? I think we see the U.S. is still somewhat in the midst of the pandemic. But, you know, we have to get to a point where we have the pandemic under control. Obviously, it's a key thing. We got to find a way to either control the thing, protect ourselves from it, either with a vaccine or an effective treatment. Uh, you know, we have to find some way to stop the disruption of the global economy. That obviously is one of the first jobs, and that is something that's ideally a transatlantic and even a global issue. I mean, the pharma players are all over the world. There's companies are trying to make a vaccine somewhere in the world, Russia, China, Germany, the US. You know, that just is crying out for global coordination, logistically, production-wise. We have to get to the point where the economies are back running as they should be. Then I certainly think as that is done, we're going to see, okay, we've taken some pretty big hits in a lot of key sectors. And now we're going to have to come up with specific ways to address those. And one of the ways that's worked in the past and can work again and in the future is with trade, that people get back to doing what they do, which is producing innovative products. You know, I think the world has learned that we do need to make sure that uh, opportunities are given fairly and that we don't want to continue to see 
segments of society left out. I think everyone understands that. Business understands that. I think everyone's changed a lot, and business will react to that. Business is good at that, and I think we have to get back to doing what we do, which is creating great products and trading. Yeah, and we also want to talk a little bit about the current political and economic landscape in this episode. I mean, we already touched on that during the last minutes. In July, the German EU Council presidency started. Germany has four months left to shape EU policy and also the transatlantic relationship. So what do you expect from that presidency during the next months? Six months is not a long time. And, you know, particularly in the midst of the COVID crisis, it's going to be kind of difficult to put a real stamp on anything. I do think Germany needs to learn to lead more than it's done in the past. Germany, particularly now that the UK has left the EU, Germany is, you know, even more the major economy in the EU. Uh, every country in Europe recognizes that. Everyone wants Germany to lead. They don't want to be dominated by Germany. But everyone expects Germany to step up and uh, lead the way towards finding solutions to some of the economic issues that face us. And I think, from my point of view, if I look at Germany as a company, who are our customers? Well, Germany makes great products. People all over the world want to buy them. That means our customers are the U.S., our Great Britain, our, our fellow members of the EU. And uh, we have to recognize that. And we also have to find a way to say, okay, let's figure out how we're going to work with these other countries, uh, as opposed to just um, being critical sometimes of how other countries want to run their business. I always look at it this way. When you're in business, you have many customers that are important to you that you maybe don't like the way they do business and you find it difficult to do business, you know, but if you want to keep them as a customer, what do you do? You go visit them, you act nice, you find a way to work with them. And I think Germany has to encourage that within Europe. I think we have to find a way to solve the North-South conflict. And of course, we have to reestablish better relationships with the EU and Europe. And those, to me, are the real priorities. And that can only happen if Germany is more unified. If you put together, you know, the half a billion people that live in Europe, not just the EU, but surrounding countries, if you take all the entrepreneurial spirit, all the capabilities and really say, hey, you know, we're working in concert, I think that would be an enormous step forward for Europe and the world. Yeah, and as you just said, there are so many global issues we have to address. And of course, we are still in the middle of the corona pandemic. And while the pandemic is under control somewhat in Germany, the U.S. is still struggling with it. And this, of course, also has a big impact on global business. So in your opinion, what can the U.S. and also Germany do to help companies to overcome this crisis? Well, I think right now, I mean, the greatest thing you could do would be to see this as an opportunity to remove trade barriers, to, you know, cooperate with each other. Why can't America and Europe get together in a concentrated action and say, okay, together we can make whatever the technology we need, you know, to do this among ourselves? You know, there, I think there's just a lot of things that would benefit from further coordination. And certainly anything we can do to make it more plausible for people to import and export and run global supply chains will help get us out of this dilemma. 
how can we make sure that companies are still connected in times of travel restrictions and social distancing? Do you think that business relations suffer from this difficult time or can they see this as a chance, for example, to find new ways of doing business together? I think it's a great opportunity to reach out and uh, speak to people using the technologies that are available to communicate with people in an audiovisual. I think that's a great way to do business. I don't think it will completely replace the pleasure of seeing people you've known for a long time and you want to see again and going to dinner with people that live in a different city and you haven't seen them because you can't go anywhere. You know, I think that would be a very kind of sad world. And I think ultimately it would lead to a bit of deterioration of some aspects of doing business. I think right now we can be very proud in saying, look how well our economy, in spite of everything, is kept on in spite of the hit we took with COVID and that people were able to send employees home. We had UPS, we sent almost, you know, within the space of a couple of weeks, everyone home who, you know, wasn't out delivering packages or sorting packages, basically, well over a thousand people, you know, got sent home with a laptop and equipped and it worked out fine. And uh, that's certainly, I got to admit, I was very pleasantly surprised. And I think, you know, the world in the future will say, okay, do we really need to all come to the same place five days a week, congesting the roads, etc.? I certainly don't intend to, but I hope everyone gets the opportunity to say what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Having said that, I mean, that does mean then that certain sectors are going to have a lot less business. We're going to have to sort things out again. I mean, what are hotels going to do? What are What are the restaurants in the neighborhood going to do where you used to go to lunch every day when you were at work? Or, you know, what is the airline business going to do? There's going to be a lot of stuff that just needs to get sorted out. And I hope we can do that uh, with the ingenuity, you know, that our economy here in Germany and in the U.S. has always shown. And certainly the more it's coordinated among like-thinking allies in an alliance, the better that would be. And that's the whole basis. And it's been the basis of the transatlantic alliance in the post-war era. Yeah, and I think we agree on the fact that as a transatlantic business organization, it is also MCM Germany's responsibility to foster transatlantic business relations and that we support and help our members with many requests every day. So as MCM Germany president, why should a company become a member of MCM Germany, especially during these times? Well, I mean, I think anyone who questions the value of it can go to our website and look at the enormous amount of programs we're running. You know, in some ways uh, they're virtual, yes, but You know, it's a great opportunity to sit in your own living room or on your terrace or in your office or wherever you are and listen to phenomenal speakers who may be in the U.S. or maybe, you know, elsewhere in Germany. You don't have to spend half a day getting somewhere now for a business lunch. Uh, there's great content. There's a great ability to interact with them. You know, all our activities are going on in a different form. You know, our transatlantic uh, business conference is coming up uh, November 12th. And I think, you know, it's going to be an excellent opportunity to see some real thought leaders. You know, since it's virtual, it does give you the chance to reach out and get a lot of speakers 
from the U.S. that you maybe couldn't have gotten to come over to Berlin for a day, but who will be delighted to get on a call. So there's advantages and disadvantages, but my message is that what we're trying to do continues, which is to do our policy work. The policy committees are running full bore. We have meetings coming up with Jens Spahn. We have uh, you know, a whole series of things that people are going to be able to take part of, take part in or benefit from. And I think all of us have learned too about creating programs that can work more virtually. And I think the good thing is even after when the beautiful day comes when COVID is really not a problem anymore, we'll keep doing a lot of this because it's great. It became kind of a tradition in the last episodes that I always ask for a positive outlook at the end of every conversation. So I know it's always difficult to predict the future, but do you think that we will live in another business world in a year from now due to the corona pandemic, but also because of all the other political debates and challenges this year? Well, I certainly think, uh, you know, when the history of this is written, looking back with a little bit of time, we'll certainly you know, be able to look at it and say, ooh, that was the corona epidemic. I mean, if you look back to the influenza of 1918, I mean, there's basically no one alive anymore who who lived through that, and it's kind of a footnote, right? I imagine what, uh, what an, a massive shock that was to everything. But at that time, the economy wasn't so global. Uh, First World War was just ending. Uh, it was a little bit different. Now, the economy was flourishing. We look forward to, you know, continued. I think both Germany and the U.S. had had 10 years of continuous GDP growth. I hope, really, my wish for everyone and for myself is that we come out of this as changed people. We've had the opportunity probably to just slow down a little and think about what we're doing. And we have to look to make that balance positive. Yes, we want to travel. Yes, we want business to get back to what it was. We've all learned to focus more on the things that are important. And I would hope when the dust settles here that we all say, okay, that was pretty bad. Probably if we had been more globally aligned, you know, as a world, we could have done better. We should have done better. Let's work on getting more globally aligned. And certainly the first and most important stage of that would be establishing a really robust transatlantic relationship, preferably with a massive trade agreement that reflects, you know, the needs of the future of energy, sustainability, social issues, etc. But one that's really robust and can survive different politics, things that might come, things that might happen. And I think I would hope that that is what lies ahead of us some point in the future here. Pretty optimistic, right, Katarina? Yeah, <laughs> perfect last words. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Frank, for this interesting conversation today. It was great talking to you and learning so much from your expertise. Thank you, Katarina, it was a pleasure. So if you, our listeners, want to learn more about MCHM Germany, our members, activities and political positions, please visit our website mchem.de and don't forget to follow us on social media. Thanks a lot for tuning in today and talk to you soon.
Thank you.